To Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 27, Pope Dionysius. Ooh. Yes, good. <laughs> this is our last pope for the year. Can you believe it? Uh, no. This is absolutely crazy. And we are recording this in advance, so it seems even more foreign that this will be the last pope recording for the year yes this is thanksgiving weekend for me not you weird canada person well because you know we have remembrance day for november so thanksgiving is the stat for october so that we get one every month in winter you know makes a lot of sense but anyways if you are listening, after this episode, there will be a two-week break for Christmas and for New Year's, and we will be back with new Popey faces in 2019, so don't forget about us. Don't worry when you don't see episodes getting released. We're coming back. It's just, it's Christmas time, so. But anyways, we, sh we should get on with it because we need to talk about Pope Dionysius. And what a fantastic name that is, because let's not forget that Dionysius is an ancient Greek pagan god, so... He's the god of wine and titties. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Very accurate. Not gonna correct you. <laughs> with that in mind, and having said that, Dionysius was potentially Greek, if we hadn't already figured that out from the name. Or, more likely, he, these sources tell us that he was probably from Magna Graecia, which is the Roman colloquial regional name for, like, the south of Italy, which is, like, modern-day Campania and Calabria and Sicily and Apulia. So it's kind of like one of those terms you use when you say, like, Midwest or, I don't know, what's another one? The Panhandle, you know, all those. The South? The South, yeah, but that's, like, a cardinal direction i guess so does it count the east coast east coast pacific northwest up here you know all of those so magna graecia this area in the south of italy is initially settled and then populated by greeks from the 8th century bc onwards so it retains an extremely strong influence of greek culture through the whole of the roman imperial period so it's roman but it's also Greek. So this is why, you know, he has a Greek name and why some sources think he might have been culturally Greek because that area of Italy definitely had that going for it. Now, the Liber Pontificalis tells us that in his early life, Dionysius was a monk. A monk. An actual monk. A monk of what? Well, here's the thing. They don't really tell us. They don't say that he was a monk at such and such a place. Um, they don't tell us what family he comes from, so we can't really ascertain anything that way or even know what his father's name was, which is something we've had up until this point. So all that we can say is that he was a monk at one point, maybe. And it might have been in this capacity as a monk that by the time of Pope Stephen, Dionysius was serving as a presbyter in Rome, somehow. And apparently, he was a very good one. We actually have a pope coming in that we actually have people taking note of before he's pope. He's credited by his contemporaries as being bright and educated and a vigorous reformer and preacher. 
And even more than that, we have Dionysius clearly heavily involved with theological discussions of the church at that time, and he makes a notable impression on the other Dionysius, that Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria that we've mentioned in the last few episodes. I'm sure if you found a brilliant presbyter with the same name as you, you would take notice. And apparently, our Dionysius and the Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria correspond quite a fair bit at this time, writing letters back and forth on the issues of heretical baptism being conducted by the Novatian Schism, and the conflict between the African churches led by Cyprian and Pope Stephen about that whole issue of rebaptism. And clearly he impressed the older and more influential Dionysius because we have two letters from the Bishop Dionysius to the Presbyter Dionysius preserved in Eusebius in which the elder man calls the younger an excellent and learned man. Nice. Although we have no idea what side the younger Dionysius fell in on the debate, because we don't have his letters in return to the older Dionysius, if he's doing well in Rome at this point, we can assume that he's supporting the view of Stephen, which is, you know, baptism is once and only once. And Yeah, because otherwise he would be excommunicated. Absolutely. We also have to remember that this is a time of nasty persecutions under Emperor Valerian. So if Dionysius was playing an influential role in the Roman church, this doesn't necessarily mean that it was a public one that would have been super well recorded. So the fact that we have anything is is pretty important. We can't forget that our previous pope had been publicly beheaded while sitting on his papal chair, and... Shortly after that, we also lose Cyprian, who was also beheaded in September of 258. It's just a big old beheading party. Yeah, especially since we know that uh, Novatian right around this time was also executed. So, yeah. Antipope, Pope, big important bishop, all being executed and beheaded at this time. And and like we have said in previous episodes, and if you want to know more about Novatian, definitely come over to Patreon. We did a whole episode about him, but his schism will continue to hold strong for a while after his death. So there's there's more to come with them. But either way, Christians at this point are not only being executed, they are being systematically purged from the highest ranks of society, especially in the senatorial and equestrian ranks. So all of the progress that had been made under the earlier popes to build this imperial relationship is being completely undone. Even the Christians who were in the imperial household, who the emperor might not have wanted to kill because he was close to them, were still forced into exile and hard labor in the mines and probably died anyways. And of course, just like the last time that we saw intense persecutions, it also meant that there's not an opportunity to have an election for a new pope for nearly a year. So, like what happened in time to allow for Sixtus's papacy, we see Valerian getting distracted by the fact that his empire is falling apart and under immediate threat from the Sassanid Persians under Sharpur I, who is an immensely significant historical figure. So... If you don't know anything about Shapur, that is something that you need to look into because he is 
a very, very powerful, very, very extensive, influential leader. So just like before, once again, Valerian's distracted, so the persecutions of the Christians do start to lapse, and as soon as they have a chance, Dionysius is quickly elected to be Pope on July 22nd, 259. As quickly as they could after about a year of not being able to do that, so... He's Pope now, and Emperor Valerian is too busy to notice because he's marching an army to take on Shapur. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail on what happens there because it is not Pope-related, but this battle, the Battle of Edessa, is definitely one of the worst Roman defeats in the history of the Empire. Like, up there with Cannae and Teutoburg Forest, not only do they lose... But Shapur captures Valerian, takes him prisoner, and he is never seen again. Oh. This is the Roman emperor that we're talking about. No one knows exactly what happens to him after this point, but I do like Rob and Jamie's theory that he was turned into a hat stand. A hat stand? You know, stuffed for display. Look at my Roman emperor, isn't he fancy? <laughs> I just heard Ariel singing, look at my stuff. Isn't it neat? <laughs> So, I the Roman emperor has been defeated in battle, has been taken prisoner, and won't be seen again. Like, we've seen emperors who have gone off and died in battle, which is one thing. How long does Rome give it for, like, the emperor to show up 15 minutes late with Starbucks? Not very long, because Rome is in a huge pickle at that moment, right? Like, this is... This is not an empire that is, like, so strong and stable that things are going to go well the moment you leave. This is like, oh, you're leaving to fight the king of kings? Well, um, maybe there's going to be three people who declare themselves emperor in your place. Okay. Yeah, so not a good time. And stepping up to take over for Valerian is Gallienus, the son and co-emperor of Valerian. And he is gone from being the Caesar, which is co-emperor, like junior emperor, to the Augustus, which is full purple, I am the emperor. And he is going to have his hands full with the massive defeat and missing father and looming threat of way more important things. So he's decided that he has had enough of dealing with the Christians, and he needs to sort this out once and for all. Okay. So he passes... An edict of toleration. Toleration? I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I just assumed right? we were going to murder everybody again. <laughs> that is the general thought here. But this toleration has been preserved by Eusebius, so I can actually read it to you what went out across the empire. It says, I have ordered the bounty of my gift to be declared through all the world that they may depart from the places of religious worship. And for this purpose, you may use this copy of my rescript, that no one may molest you. And this which you are now enabled lawfully to do has already for a long time been conceded by me. Therefore, Aurelius Cyrenius, who is the chief administrator of affairs, will observe this ordinance which I have given. So, whoa. Uh, I allow you to exist. This ends the persecution of Christians full stop. And more importantly, and this is the big one. This gives the Christian church, for the first time in its entire history, a recognized legal existence. Crazy. Huge moment. Huge moment. As a legal entity, 
This allows the church to actually have possession of their churches, of their cemeteries, of their property. They're allowed a right to exist for the first time ever. So from death to leaps and bounds, a huge, huge improvement. You are, this is such a big moment for the church that it must have been so incredibly, like, unforeseen. And this is not a temporary thing, by the way. This brings to life a 40-year period of toleration and peace between the empire and the church called the Little Peace of the Church, where the church is actually going to be allowed to grow and thrive and won't be suppressed and won't be persecuted. So this is a turning of the tides moment in history, and we're actually going to have a string of popes who have a chance. 40 years is a long time. It's so long in this world of popes that have been martyred. It's a big deal. This is where we can actually start talking about Dionysius again, and his actual papacy, because he's been given an opportunity here to do something that no other pope before him has been able to do. He is able to operate a church that is legal and recognized, and he can use that to improve the lives of the faithful across the whole empire. So what does he do with this? Do you have any predictions? Oh, no. It's maybe... Uh, no. Good? Bad? I assume it's gonna be good. Oh, it's really good. Oh, really good. He's gonna do some pretty significant things that the church hasn't been able to do for a really long time. And the first and biggest thing that has to happen after a period of suppression and persecution is reorganizing the church. In particular, obviously they always do the Roman church, which is always the hardest hit by the oppression. Um, it's in a really sorry state right now, and it will mark as the reference point and model for all the churches across the empire. So the Liber Pontificalis tells us that he did this by reorganizing the boundaries of the Roman parishes to better reflect the Christian population of Rome, and then assigning presbyters to be responsible for the care of the individual parishes and for the cemeteries, especially now that they can legally own these things and take them and run them officially. This is huge! The Liber Pontificalis also tells us that he labored to put the administration in good order, so we can assume that we're at a period where quality control can be done to make sure that the presbyters that are put in this position are worthy candidates who are not schismatic holding viewers, they're not supporters of Hippolytus and Novation or uh, the heretical baptism movement or anything like that. They can actually be legitimate Christians that are orthodox and good at their job. And then once he gets Rome, the church in Rome, on its feet again, he turns his attention towards the church in Cappadocia, which is in Anatolia, modern-day Turkey. Cappadocia was in extremely, extremely rough shape. It had been absolutely ravaged by the Goths, and I mean the East Germanic people who are going to be a massive problem for Rome, up to and including the fall of Rome. And they had gone through Cappadocia and indiscriminately plundered and ended up destroying a huge amount of Christian churches, taking a significant amount of Christians as hostage with the intent to ransom them to someone. And this is a pretty common thing for Goths to do, 
So it's not exactly exclusive to the Christian population of Cappadocia, but it affected enough Christians that Dionysius felt the need to get directly involved. According to many sources, including St. Basil, Dionysius sent a letter to the bishop in Caesarea to comfort and encourage the rebuilding efforts, along with a massive sum of money to help out and to ransom back all of those Christians who were still enslaved by the Goths. That's a good thing to use your money on. Finally, we see the church, you know, putting that money back out there. We haven't seen that since, like, Soder. Someone gave money to somebody recently. There was a little bit of money given, yeah, but this is, like, a massive sum of money. In his 70th epistle, Basil tells us about this. He says, For I well remember learning from the answers made by our fathers when asked, and from the documents still preserved among us, that the illustrious and blessed Bishop Dionysius, conspicuous in your see as well for soundness of faith as well as other virtues, visited by letter my church of Caesarea, and by letter exhorted our fathers, and sent men to ransom our brethren from captivity. There's a lot of free Christians because of Dionysius. So these are these are pretty massive things at this point. This is what we want to see happening in the church at this point. They're they're going to get back on their feet. But but then we have a problem. Oh no, what is it? Well, the most important thing that happened within the church during Dionysius's papacy is referred to as the affair of the two Dionysii because it has to do with the pope and his old friend Dionysius, bishop of Alexandria. Pope Dionysius starts to hear from the congregations at Alexandria that the bishop might be promulgating heretical beliefs, particularly in relation to his ideas on the concept of the Logos and the Divine Trinity, which you might remember was Hippolytus's big thing. Yep, we're back on that bull. We are so not done with that bull. You remember how upset I was about Easter? There are going to be so many controversies about this. But for now, apparently, the complaints that Pope Dionysius is getting is in relation to a letter that the bishop, Dionysius, wrote addressed to Ammonius and Ephranor, who were likely Christian priests. We have have no idea. And this letter that he wrote was a condemnation of Sibelianism, which is one of those modalist guys who believed in the whole idea that the father and the son and the holy spirit were were all like aspects of the oneness of god father is the same as the son the son is the same as the holy spirit the holy spirit is the same as the son everything is the same why are we debating about all of this just everything's the same but bishop dionysius is rejecting this theory as the church has as a whole but in doing so He used some language that suggests that Christ, the Son, was, quote, something made, and therefore distinct from the Father in substance, quote, even as a shipbuilder from a ship. So this idea of the Son being created goes against this idea of the Logos that the Church has kind of accepted that The Logos is the Word, the Word is Christ, therefore Christ has existed from the beginning, he was not made by God. People who read this letter from Dionysius, even though it's a condemnation of heresy, they see this poorly chosen metaphor of as a shipbuilder from a ship, and they start to 
panic because they don't see it as a refutation of the oneness idea. They see it as, oh no, he doesn't get this whole trinity thing that we're trying to do. And I mean, if you understand that the the church has been dealing with heresies from over a century now, and it's now finally time to come back and deal with getting back down to orthodoxy, you can see why they might be a little bit concerned if they read this and didn't get where he was going. So they go to the Pope. And the Pope decides he's going to convene a synod. And part of the synod is going to be the issuing of a doctrine directly from the Pope, which doubled down both on condemning Sabellianism and modalism, which is what the bishop was trying to do, but also to come against the concept of Christ being created of any sort. So he's coming back down and saying, nope, you're both wrong. And he also goes after the Marcionites because they're still preaching the dualism of old God, new God (laughs) that we discussed back in episode 12. So if you need a refresher, go there (laughs) because they were all about God as the created being as well. And then after having this council and this synod, the Pope writes directly to the bishop, Pope Dionysius to Bishop Dionysius, and he asks him to explain himself and his ideas. He's asking the bishop to clarify this once and for all to prove that this is a misunderstanding. This is an actual heresy conducted by one of the most important bishops of the church. One who, remember, has been praising young Pope since he was just a deacon man. So he probably is invested in protecting his older namesake. So then Bishop Dionysius then does explain himself in a document called the Apologia, or the Refutation in Apology, in which he acknowledges that, yes, actually I have been misunderstood, and he clarifies his viewpoints and submits himself to the authority of the Pope. Bishop Dionysius's new clarified treatise really elucidates his actual thoughts about the Trinity. Not that the Son was creative, but that he was co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit co-eternal. And most importantly, he uses the word consubstantial when describing the Father and the Son. And this word will become the orthodox phrase, the official semantic stance on the matter of the Father and the Son by the time we get to the Council of Nicaea. So it is going to be literally the word that will settle an entire controversy on the Trinity. So uh, maybe Bishop Dionysius was psychic because this is a huge precedent that he's setting here. He couldn't have known it at the time, but this word that he decides to use, consubstantial, that is the word. He's making up. He's making up, but the church is going to run with it like you won't believe. So put a pin in that word. All right. We are going to say it so, so many times. When we get to the Council of Nicaea, and then beyond that, and forever, consubstantial. It's going to become a swear word by the time we're done with this podcast. So, this is huge. He he is setting a standard, and he is clarifying his position. And so that whole thing about, oh, maybe Bishop Dionysius is a heretic, goes away. Everything has been solved. Everything has been pretty. 
But let's not underestimate exactly what it means to have this very, very prominent, very, very influential, and very, very important bishop submitting himself to the authority of the Pope again. This is not the first moment where we've seen the primacy of the Roman Church, but this is where power was still not absolute or unquestionable, so by having this very powerful man willingly and openly submitting himself to the power of the Pope, this is a very strong symbol and ensures that the papacy of Dionysius is considered one of the strongest of the third century. He had Dionysius's support, so that's huge. This is really reinforcing apostolic succession. Mad props. That's fair. We had this a couple times before with Cyprian and with Polycarp. Yeah, and he's following that tradition, and so I mean, this is still a time where the church could have gone either way. There could have been no pope in the future, but they are making this a thing that is going to happen. Then there's there's another little thing. that Dionysius was also a little involved with a synod that took place in Antioch of 70 bishops and priests to depose of the bishop of Antioch, who was a guy called Paul of Samosata based on the fact that he had pretty strong adoptionist views that were causing huge problems within the clergy. And if you need a refresher on adoptionism, that's episode 16. The synod wasn't actually convened by Dionysius. Rather, it was done independent, and then they confirmed it in a letter to Dionysius. So you can read this letter in Eusebius Church History 7.30. And... This gets a little complicated because since this synod had acted without the consent of the Pope, like they went ahead and did this without him and then told him after, Paul of Samosata argues that it's not valid and they didn't have the authority to depose him. And so he was able to actually mostly hold on to his position. It gets a little bit complicated. We don't have strong evidence that Dionysius reacted to this deposition any particular way or that he came out against Paul, or he might not have even felt very strongly about this. That's just what happens when you do things without, you know, getting the approval. Yeah, and and there is a strong, pretty sure possibility that this synod might have actually even happened right before or right after Dionysius's death. So oh, okay. he might not have gotten that letter at all. He might have been very, very ill. And we're going to come back to this story of Paul of Samosata. Because there will be a reaction, it just won't be from Dionysius. <laughs> I'm surprised, like, I mean, if he was ill, that would make sense why they didn't get a letter that said, explain yourself. He could have set a whole trend here. But unfortunately, around this same time, Pope Dionysius is dying, and he dies on December 26th of 268. Well, at least he wasn't martyred. He absolutely, 100%, with almost complete certainty, Diet of natural causes, so not a martyr. Hooray! <laughs> the church and Rome are at peace, and he's able to die in peace. And he gets buried at the papal crypt at the tombs of Calixtus, and that is Dionysius! Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> so now, we need to rate him. Papatum infallium. He re-establishes the order and administration of the church, the borders of the parishes, who's in charge of what. He facilitates the first era of the little piece of the church 
and takes over the new legal status of the church and runs with it, he allows the church to actually grow and establish itself in this new opportunity really, really well. He's assisting in Cappadocia to rebuild church and ransom off hostages. And he's clearing up theological orthodoxy. He's going out there and he's dealing with the potential perceived heresy of Bishop Dionysius, but he's not going to just suddenly excommunicate someone without talking to them. He sets that important precedent for the Nicene Council during his papacy, even though it wasn't him. He does not break with Alexandria. This is very important. doesn't just go, you are excommunicated. And because of that, they are going to be an extremely important ally to Rome, which is going to, again, reaffirm the primacy of Rome this whole way. So it's pretty good. He's got a lot of things going for him. I think he's got a score pretty decently in this category. I was going to give him like a seven. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was debating between seven and eight. But, you know, I think I'll go with a seven as well, because it's really, really good. It's it's right at that B-plus range, for sure. Yeah, it's not it's not anything over the top, but it is a lot of the stuff that needed to happen. And so I think a 14 is a very fair score for Papatum and Valium. Fructus Prohibitum? Well, this is one category in which he did not do well, because we have no scandal for him. It is a time of peace and prosperity and... That doesn't lead to, to naughty bits. I mean, it might. It, it might in the future. I, I have been doing research ahead in the show, so here's a little sizzle for you. I'm pretty sure I just wrote the, the episode notes for our Pope, who will be our first, like, 20 scandal score. <laughs> full marks. There's no way he can't get full marks. So, sizzle. That's not, that's not Dionysius, though. No. Dionysius is soft and adorable. I'm trying his best. I haven't seen his face yet. It's probably going to be bad. Well, I don't remember it being bad. Well, we'll have a look at it. But first, Seculari Impactum. He has an impact here because he has a good relationship with the Empire. They are at peace. They set it off on the right foot, which allows Christians to have a role in the secular world that is legal and and not just like getting out there and being like, yeah, we're legal now, you have to deal with us, suck it! He's, like, doing all of the good things. He doesn't sound like he's causing any trouble for it. They're just like, yay, we're legal now, cool. And he's not like, hey, you have to pay attention to us now, but we're fighting on the inside. He's still dealing with that in a good way that presents a really, really good image to the Empire at this point. So, pretty good. I'm gonna give him a five for that, because it's solid, but it's not outstanding amazing so that's fair i'll give him a five too okay so he gets a 10 for seculari impactum he's doing well so far now it's time to look at his face show me his face do you still think that he is adorable oh he's got a button nose (laughs) he does it is his bunny poof is just like a little ice cream swirl (laughs) He's got a button nose, in so much that a Roman nose can be a button nose at the same time. And uh, I don't know, his eyes are very close together. It's very straight on. Like, usually these popes are just, like, a little off in wherever they're looking. He's just, like, straight on, but not looking at you at the same time. He's not focused at you. 
No. And at first, like, when I first look at this photo, I think, man, that is a grumpy man. But the more I look at it, it's just like he's really, really focused on something. He's got resting face. He does have resting face. That's what it is. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's not his fault. Based on this photo, what would you like to give him? I do like how buttony his nose is. I'm giving him a six. Look at how good it is. It is a good nose. I've also noticed he's got that deep V clavicle going on. Oh, yeah. I just realized that. You see that? Wow. Look, his pecs right there. Yeah. He looks like he's one of those ripped old men. Look at his shoulders. You can see. You can see his shoulders now. Now that you're actually looking at it. I'm going to, I was going to give him a four, but, you know, bonus point for buffness. (laughs) He's real secretly buff. You know, maybe he runs like 10 miles every morning or something crazy. I'm going to give him a 5, which gives him a total of 11 for a score of 2.75 for Facium Sanctus. Oh, we got one more to look at, actually. Um, He has a sculpture relief. Here it is. That's a thing. Oh. The curls in the beard really freak me out. What that looks like to me is an orangutan. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm going to be really glad we didn't rate him on this one because it just really freaks me out. But, and, and I feel like that little cherub on the bottom is like, get a load of this guy's face. Why am I here forever? This one's not good. <laughs> nope. Thank goodness this is not the one we rated him on. Tempus Pontificus. Do you want to guess how long he was Pope for? Oh, let's go with 21. 21. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, July 22nd, 259 to December 26th, 268, which is nine and a half years. That is not 21. You overshot, but that's okay because we don't get an opportunity to even feel like our popes have lasted a year, let alone that long. So that's good. He gets a 2.375 for his nine and a half years. That's still good. That's real good. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round. He is a saint, but we need to clarify because there are also other saints called Dionysius, including Dionysius of Alexandria. So we need to distinguish. Yes, but he's not the only one. His feast day is December 26th. And he's not a patron saint of anything, so we get to make him one. You said his his date is December 26th. Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, no one's really going to celebrate your feast day. He's the patron saint of leftovers. Okay, all right, we're going with it. Because, yeah, that would be a pretty sad feast day. You're right. Oh, that's, you know, he's such a, he's such a... I did such a good job as a Pope man, and he is going to be the patron saint. <laughs> I love it. It's not his fault. It's the day they gave him. <laughs> well, that's the day he died. It's always their death day. You fucked up. You should have held him for a couple more days. Yeah, fabulous. I love it. This is why we do the show. Considering our, our last Pope was the patron saint of Victoria's Secret Models. <laughs> what are we doing? All right, so... His final score, ooh, he scored a 30.125 for his total score. Jesus, okay. We have not had a person in the 30 club since Calixtus. Wow. Ooh. So I think we might actually have a discussion here today. 
about whether he's popey enough or pizzazzy enough or leaving a great enough legacy to be worthy of a papal bull. I wasn't possessed by him, so I want to say no. You were not possessed by him. Mm, okay. Again, this is one of those cases where when I was doing the research, I was kind of like, yeah, this is really important, but whatever. And having done him and relaying his stories, I feel more possessed by him, but I don't know if I am moved by him. So I will agree with you, but I am really glad that he scored quite highly because this does say a lot about the way that we kind of rate these popes and how we score it and why we have the papal bull and stuff because this is a man who did really well and he he rec he deserves to be recognized for doing really really well but he's not the kind of pope that I want to chase somebody down and talk to them about so sorry Dionysius enjoy your leftovers in purgatory <laughs> We're very proud of you, but um, as our last Pope of the year, it's just not enough. With that, we have thank yous to make, and these are our last thank yous of the year, so we need to thank Rex Factor, our inspiration. Who? I don't know who that is. I know, we never talk about them. And there's these other guys that are really quite good, they're Totalis Rankium. Um, you should check them out too. They kind of do a similar thing to us, so... Thanks to you guys and the Roman and Byzantine history group and to Ryan Stitt from the history of ancient Greece and to all of you who have listened this year. This is our launch year and even though we haven't completed a full year of podcasting yet, uh, we are substantially blown away by how this has gone and how much response we're getting, and how many people are excited about what we're doing, and enjoy listening. Like It has exceeded every one of our expectations, so that is pretty fabulous. So thank you, thank you so very much, and Merry Christmas, and all of the other holidays you celebrate, and Happy New Year, and we will see you with new Poppy faces in 2019! Mm-hmm. We can be found on most major podcatching platforms, including Spotify. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as Pontifax Pod. Feel free to message us. We usually always respond. If you want to send us a more long-form message, request, or otherwise get a hold of us, our email is pontifaxpod at gmail.com. For our bonus episodes and exclusive content, head over to our Patreon page and donate. That's patreon.com forward slash pontifaxpod. If you feel the need to buy us a tea, because we're not really coffee drinkers, but we do love tea, you can throw us a few bucks in our PayPal account at paypal.me forward slash pontifaxpod. As always, please subscribe and rate and review on iTunes or whatever you use. It really helps us get recommended to other people and allows more people to find us. Bye! Goodbye! <laughs>